Hey there, this is Steve Lee with Veritas Catholic Network. We are sitting on the verge of our second consecutive Holy Week under the shadow of this pandemic. On Let Me Be Frank today, Bishop Kajiano will talk about how this year will be different, of course, from normal years, but even from last year. And then he'll help us prepare ourselves spiritually for this most important week for all of us Christians. And as Holy Week approaches, to the extent you listen to any media, I'd like to invite you to come to Veritas Catholic Network and be fed. Keep your radio dialed to 1350 AM or listen to the Veritas Catholic Network app on your phone. We have spiritual devotions, authentic Catholic teaching, and uplifting conversations. We are Catholic Radio for Connecticut and New York. We're bringing the truth to our community. More information is always at www.veritascatholic.com. All right, with that, I would like to welcome you all back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano, and it is my pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, good morning to you. We are on the verge of Holy Week. Yes. Right? Yes, we are. Where it did is Lent me. go? Where did Lent go? <laughs> it's, it's been a whole <laughs> year of Lent, Excellency. <laughs> well, that's true. Oh, that's so true. Yeah. That is so true. You know, before we but, get to Holy Week, though, we've got mm-hmm. tomorrow, which is going to be uh, the Annunciation. Which is the actual beginning of the writing of salvation history in the new dispensation, right? In Jesus Christ. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, it's one thing I want to alert all of us to is how we can shortchange history. We whitewash history and we reduce it to just a few bare facts or events and we forget the larger context because the larger context is precisely where we find the spiritual challenges that come to us personally. Right? So let's talk about the Annunciation. In faith, we believe that in a moment that was totally at, at a surprise, the angel Gabriel, the archangel Gabriel, came to Mary with this proposition that she would be the mother of the Messiah. Now, that is fantastic enough Hmm. to hear. But that she was relatively young and consecrating already a life to a virgin, it's another dimension of surprise. And then when the revelation is that the Messiah was not in the line of the prophets or was not the royal selected messenger of God's power, but that God was going to take care of the job himself. Mm -hmm. In a context where Our Lady, with the reverential fear she would have had before God, you know, the Shema, which is at the heart of Jewish faith, and understanding that God is one, For her to sit there and have this revelation and say to herself, what, as she says in scripture, 
But how could this be? This, I mean, every level of my life, this does not fit. Now, we look back and say, she said, yes, mother of God, you have to be obedient to God's will, move on. But sit in the moment and appreciate, just on a human level, what Our our Lady experienced. Surprise on steroids. (laughs) Beyond your wildest imagination. And she said yes. See, so now that's the point. That's the point. Not that she said yes, but she said yes in that context where every part of her body, her mind would have said, no, this could not be. This cannot be. This just simply could not be. But she says yes. Yeah. Right? So that's the spiritual challenge of the Annunciation. We are not going to be the mother of God in the physical sense, although St. Augustine says that we we bear birth to Christ spiritually as disciples, and Augustine says that Mary is revered more so because she was faithful disciple of the Lord, AKA, yes, in this context, than she physically gave birth to the Savior and Redeemer. So he doesn't take us off the hook in the least, as a good bishop never does <laughs> allow you to get off the hook. You know, so, so, so isn't it extraordinary? It's, yeah, and you think about what was possibly swirling in her head as you're painting the picture, Excellency, and then still her response versus, say, the response of Zechariah. Ah, who was struck dumb. Yes. Now, let's go deeper. No, I'm not letting this go yet. Let's go deeper. (laughs) All right, so she lives in where? What's her city? Nazareth. Nazareth. Well, how many people lived in Nazareth? 2,000? 3,000? Metropolis. (laughs) <laughs> in those days, if that many. So everybody knew everybody. Yeah. So could you imagine on just a human level, how are you going to explain this? And we talked about this last year when we talked about the Annunciation. Right? Imagine yes. the gossip, the backbiting. Yeah. Right? And then in a society where if you don't have a husband who's willing to take you, she's betrothed to Joseph, who doesn't want to take you, you're going to be the poorest of the poor. All this you have, you, I'm, you say to yourself, I can't figure it out. Theologically, it doesn't make any sense to me. It goes against everything I've been trained to. I've already consecrated my, my life to God in a way that you're telling me is totally the opposite. I live in a culture that's going to ostracize me in a town that's going to throw me out. <laughs> and I say yes. Yeah. Now let that sit in our lives. When God asks us to do something and we hem and we whore and we rationalize and we think, and I need to reflect, I need to pray, let me give this five days to think about. She didn't take five days to think about it. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. The great reproach the mother of God gives to all disciples of the Lord. It is a holy reproach. You want to hear it the way I would put it? What are you waiting for? <laughs> what are you waiting for? Yeah. He asked. The answer is yes. Yeah. Remarkable. It's re- and the habit so close to Holy Week is another reproach. Because we're going to start the Holy Days on Palm Sunday, Passion Sunday. Right? Can't you ask the same question of you and me to ourselves? What are you waiting for? How far along the journey are you willing to walk with Jesus? Yeah. Palms. The trial. The betrayal, the garden, Calvary, 
the tomb, where, how, how far are you willing to walk? Until you say no. Ah. <laughs> Mary did. Yeah. To the end. Yeah. I think something to think about. What, the tie, the tie between her, uh, the Annunciation, and the events of the Passion. Then, is there a tie? I mean, it's, she set the wheels in motion. Um, is there something more that we can put together here? Or okay, so <clears throat> you have often heard me say, <clears throat> "Our Lady is a mirror unto the life of her Son Jesus." So, in all the events that occur in Our Lady's life, they are meant to elucidate, give meaning to, give understanding to the life of her son. So, there is a continual of narrative that exists from the moment of conception to the moment of his death that is a self-emptying of God. Now, Let's really stretch our minds, okay? Let's, I mean, you want your mind to, to really hurt? Let's start, shall we? It's like basic training at the gym. You're sore when it's all over. That's what we're <laughs> aiming for today. Yes. Okay. The self-emptying of God, the kenosis of God, Philippians. It was a remarkable moment that God emptied himself at the free choice of his creature. Who's a creature before God? The Almighty, the, the everlasting, the created. But his entrance depended on the free response of his creature, to which she said yes. And so his emptying of all glory to take on a human life began at the moment of his conception, not at the moment of his birth. And that's why we have a consistent teaching on the beauty and sanctity of life. Because the sanctity of all human life was born in the moment he was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary, not the moment he, he was born into the world. And, and that self-emptying continued consistently in God-made man from the moment of his birth to the moment of his passion. Consider for a moment Joseph. We just celebrated his, his, the solemnity of Joseph. We consecrated the diocese to Joseph. All right. Imagine the intimacy St. Joseph felt with God, having gone from the same reverential fear that he had as a good, righteous, upright Jewish man. Okay. The holy of holies where no one touched the mountain, no one uttered God's name, you never even imagined you could do that. And now suddenly you're looking upon the face of God and you live because he's sitting on your lap. Yeah. I mean, let's think about that for a second, right? And, and this God empties himself to do that to become the ward so a human person in Joseph, foster father, is his guardian and protector. And if Herod had gotten his way, what would have happened to Jesus as a child? 
who had been slaughtered like the other innocents, who were the first martyrs of the faith, really, if you think about it. Right. So that's self-emptying. And then, of course, in his whole ministry, bottom line is, he was giving, giving. You could imagine the Lord emptying his heart, right, in his teaching, in his signs, in his miracles. And what does he get? He gets growing, growing opposition. I give, you reject. I give, you reject. And then, of course, the events of Holy Week. So there has been the kenosis began in the moment of conception, annunciation, all the way to the death of the Lord Jesus. They're all, in my mind, it's all connected. The one narrative is the kenosis, is the emptying of God. Yeah, and so for the leader, uh, the for the listeners, kenosis—that's the emptying that where God did not see Himself fit to be right. He He did not Philippians see Philippians two. Yes. Right. right. Kenosis is the Greek word for the emptying. Yes. Right, exactly. Right. Yep. Right. Okay. So, uh, as, as we mentioned at the top here, um, this is going to be our second consecutive Holy Week under restrictions in the shadow of the pandemic. Yep. And you mentioned a few weeks ago that uh, this year's Holy Week will look much different. Uh, it'll be, be much more open than last year, but it still won't be normal. Correct. Correct. Thank God. Thank God yeah. we have made progress. But yeah, all the, first of all, our churches are open. Yes. How horrible was it last year when we, were, we could not publicly worship? I, I don't even want to, I don't, I, I don't even want to go back to remember it, to be very honest. How surreal it was for me to celebrate the Holy Week liturgies at the cathedral at St. Augustine's, literally by myself. Yeah. And live streamed. I mean, thank God we are, we are and, and things seem to be moving in the right direction. So um, just from an informational point of view, Palm Sunday, we will have the distribution of palms. There could be the procession of the blessing of palms, even though it would be in a modified form. Um, we will have Reconciliation Monday, as we always have done for the last five years, where all of our churches will be open for confession to be heard. We will be able to have the Chrism Mass with mm -hmm. a live congregation when I will bless the Holy Oils, and they'll be distributed to all the churches on Holy yeah. Thursday morning. The Mass of the Lord's Supper, Every parish will be able to have the washing of the feet, right? It may look a little bit different because there may not be 12 people, depending on how much space there is in the sanctuary, but we will have it. And then, of course, we can have the veneration of the cross on Friday. But once again, it will be a little bit different. You will not be able to kiss the cross because we could not disinfect it. But a genuflection or a profound bow before the Lord will allow that reverence, right? That we, that is our due mm -hmm. before the wood uh, that set us free. And then we can have the vigil. The, the, the interesting thing is, logistically, the one piece of Holy Week that I believe is really going to take a lot of prudential thought, but I believe there's a way around it, is the Easter vigil, the lighting of the individual candles right. in, the, in the church. Yes. Because with a mask, you can't blow them out. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> so we have to figure out a way where perhaps if, 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 just, if we could cusp our hand, one hand, and hold it as close to your mouth as possible, and just slightly remove your mask to blow out the candle, right? But 
Um, believe it or not, even to this taping, there was some debate on how to do that, should we do that, how we would do that. But that's the only logistical uh, bump in the road, I think. Yeah. That's funny because we just registered for our Easter Vigil Mass and mm-hmm. it's because of the candles and I never thought of how we would... So that's... Okay. Right. <laughs> right. Um, right. In the Middle Ages, though, in the Middle Ages, you know how they did that. In the Middle Ages, they would... You would lick your fingers and just use your fingers to, to sing, right? But once again, you have to lick your fingers. So <laughs> then suddenly... <laughs> so it's just... That's ah, a new world. Yeah. At least for the time being. <laughs> I'm not sure... People these days have that same constitution. I think I, even I would be nervous about putting my fingers on that flame. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, my mother used to pick up the pots, the, the cast iron pots with no, wow. no rag. No rag. <laughs> my Uncle Andrew, who was a professional chef, okay, God rest his soul, he, he, he I mean, literally, he would have his hands... I would be burning to death and he, because his hands had the calluses. He honestly didn't feel it yeah. after all those years of working in a kitchen. Mm-hmm. People truly were tougher. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. I'd like to ask you, Excellency, about the, uh, the RCIA process this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so mm-hmm. uh, has, that been, has that been much different than it was in the past? Um, our, our numbers are much lower. Okay. Like the right of election was much smaller. I led the right of election. You know, for those who are listening, the right of Christian initiation of adults is the resurrecting of the catechumenate process of formation for adults that existed in the ancient church. And now it is done in the contemporary church when adults or those who are older Um, seek entrance into the church. So therefore, the RCIA is really meant for those to be baptized, confirmed, and receive Holy Communion, those received into the church from another church that could conceivably certainly receive Holy Communion and possibly be confirmed, and those already baptized in the church who need the other two sacraments of Confirmation and Holy Eucharist. Right. Right. So... It is, it is going to be renamed as the right, it is, it's the, is going to be the order of Christian initiation of adults, okay? Because it's really not a right, it is many rights. It's a, it's a formational process. So that's what you mean by order. Right. right? Okay. And, and so my guess is it was done virtually, which is not really the ideal way to do it. Mm-hmm. But if restrictions begin to loosen up, the mystagogia, which is the continued formation after the sacraments, now this year takes on greater importance, right, for people. Yes. Because remember, you don't get educated in the faith, you get formed in the faith. And that are not the same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's something that even someone who's been a lifelong cradle Catholic like me, I mean... I should, I should be doing something like that on a continual basis as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You, the interesting thing, Steve, is what we are now beginning to see is exactly what happened in the ancient church that gave rise to infant baptism. That is, we are beginning to see whole families coming to faith 
in entering the church. Another eerie parallel to the ancient church, hmm. which was also a secular pagan society. Right. So if a, if a mother and father, let's say someone in their 30s, seek entrance into the church and are formed, and they have a nine-year-old and a two-year-old, they will all enter into the church. Yeah. Well, so um, it seems to me that uh, people coming into the church today during these times, um, not just with the pandemic, but just you know in the church and society in general, I imagine mm -hmm. there's got to be a certain amount of uh, fire and zeal and understanding uh, of what they're getting into in a way that um, I think oftentimes, like I said, a cradle Catholic like me would just take for granted. Of course. Oh, of course. Of course. Because, you know, it's an interesting phenomenon. Our Protestant brothers and sisters speak of the need to accept Lord, the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior. Okay. And for some of them, they delay baptism until you actually, as an adult, can say this. Now, of course, that is not our practice mm -hmm. because we believe the objective nature of grace needs to help you with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to make that claim, to make that choice. So you don't do it on your own. The Lord helps you to do it. But having said that, in our practice, we have made confirmation kind of what that is. Right. That is, as a young adult, you renew your own baptisms, your baptism is confirmed, and you go out as disciples. And there is an element of that in confirmation. However, I would venture to say that that process of saying, as an adult, yes to the Lord, is not a single moment or a single sacrament. It's a lifestyle. It's a stance in life. Yes. Over and over again. So I don't say yes to the Lord as my savior on my confirmation day alone. I'm going to say it a hundred times every day. Every time, this is my confirmation homily. Every time you have a choice, you're either going to do it in the Lord's mind or in the world's mind. Which one do you choose? Yeah. Because you cannot avoid the choice. Yeah. Moment right. by moment, day in and day right. out. Yes. Right. So in my mind, I'm very much of the opinion, and I am moving our di diocese towards confirmation at a younger age, not because I don't want our young people right, to accept the Lord as in their lives when they're older. No, I want them to choose when they're older, but they need the Holy Spirit to help them to do that when they're older, a hundred times every day. Yeah. Right. Are you thinking of, of making, are you flipping the order so that confirmation comes before whole First Communion? No. Or? Okay. No, 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 no. And again, uh, one of the things I value tremendously in pastoral leadership is unity, which is not uniformity, but it's unity. Right. And therefore, in the rites of the sacraments, in the order of the sacraments, uh, I, I'm certainly not opposed for the bishops to discuss whether or not the restored order, this is what you're referring to, should be adopted, and the restored order is baptism, confirmation, at the age of reason, and Holy Communion, which in the Easter Vigil is the order in which the sacraments are celebrated. Hmm. 
Okay. Oh, I never noticed. In that order, right? It's in that in the it's in the rest, it is the order, but I, I I very much oppose that Caggiano thinks that's the best thing since sliced bread. So he moves an entire diocese in that, and then Caggiano dies the next day, and Bishop whoever you are comes in and says, "I think that's crazy." And no, right? You create chaos, <laughs> chaos, and it shouldn't be personal preference. It should be the mind of the church, the yes. whole church. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Okay, so I think this is a good place for us to uh, to take a break, and um, we can continue and talk about Palm Sunday and, yes, and the and rest. Yes, and Holy Week in general. Great. Yes, when we come back. You're listening to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Caggiano on the Veritas Catholic Network. Catholic Radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank, featuring Bishop Frank Caggiano. Um, Excellency, I know you said that uh, on the Feast of St. Joseph last Friday, you passed on the pastries, but... Um, uh, sad. How <laughs> sad was that? <laughs> but I remember that that last year on, on this show, you also said that growing up, the Palm Sunday feast was the greatest feast of the year in your parents' house. Yes. Yes. Traditionally. Yes. That was culturally. Yes, it was. Um, and to be honest, I'm not exactly sure what, there is no theological justification per se, but for us growing up, and I think it was for many reasons. One, um, it was the, the day where we gathered as a family. I mean, I, I, as I've mentioned too many times, the ritual was you go to your aunts and uncles, wish them all a happy feast day, blah, 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 or the rest, you eat your way through the morning, then you come home, right? Um, but Palm Sunday was the beginning of the Holy Week, of the Holy Week, not of Holy Week. Right. Okay. Right. Remember, the proper name for the Easter Vigil is the Vigil in the Holy Night. Okay. So this is the Holy Week, the week that is holiest of all. And there was a sense that we were celebrating because we were going into mourning. We were going into penance. We were going into quiet. We were going into silence. Right? We were going into a great mystery that defies words. And growing up, you know, it's funny. That's why I say education and formation are the same thing. My mother never said that to me. Never. But she taught me that. And now I have language to express it. Hmm. Right? Yeah. So we had, of course, the palms, which we would fight over, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know how that is. And my mother taught me how to make those little um, palm crosses. Right. All right. And in Italy, it was a custom at times for the men to wear them, to wear those palm crosses. You always brought them to the graves, always. Palm Sunday was always the day you went to visit the dead. Yes. Why? You know, 
the custom was always to go visit the dead. But on Palm Sunday, you brought them the palms. Why? Because any hope was born in the beginning of this, the Holy Week. <laughs> Here, the promise of the world being usurped by God for its emptiness, but becomes the means by which we are saved. Really, bring, every time I think of it, it still brings tears to my eyes. It's, um, you know, there's certain things in life that are so big, so monumental, so profound, that you don't understand them with words. You understand them with symbols. You understand them, you understand them in the very experience of going through them. So that is why we wash feet and we light candles and we sit before wood of the cross and we empty our churches and we cover our statues in purple and we, right? Because they teach. So if that's why Palm Sunday was such a big deal. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It was almost like, have a great meal because you're in for a greater ride right. coming. <laughs> it's the, the, the week is the climax of... Um, well, it's it's the climax of Jesus's three years of ministry. Uh -huh. um, it's know, the so great it's the great rupture in space and time. Hmm. Right. So let's let's really call it for what it is. Right? It's what you said, and far more than that. In the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. The very fabric of creation was made new. It ruptured and was healed. Everything that ever existed, everything that will ever exist, okay, has a new purpose, a new destiny, in that one day and night lived over three days and two nights. And a scientist listening to me would say, this man is drinking, should not drink before he does his podcast. <laughs> and my response back to the scientist will be, when you understand what truth really means, it's many faces and it's many manifestations. I want to be next to you when you get the aha moment before God and the Lord will say, come yeah, now, <laughs> come, come, I will show you. Excellency, can I uh, can I ask you? So my my family, we sat down and we watched the first season of this show called The Chosen, mm -hmm. which actually has been really fantastic. Um, which tell, I was tell us a little bit about it because I've not seen it. So sure. tell us a little bit. So it's it's um it's a television series. The first season has eight episodes, mm -hmm. and it's about uh, Jesus and calling his apostles, mm -hmm. and. Rula mentioned to me in December, she's like, we should watch this. And I stupidly said, no, I'd rather not because, you know, I was afraid of poor production or poor writing or poor whatever, even wrong things in there. She mentioned it again a few weeks ago. And so we said, yeah, we, we sat down, we watched it. And it was, I mean, I can't recommend it highly enough. But what it does is it really, um, it really puts you there in a way 
it makes each per- like a lot of the the movies and shows about Jesus and the apostles they're not they don't seem like real people and this really fills in in between and really fleshes them out and they feel like real people and it made me wonder as we were getting ready for today mm-hmm. so Jesus spent 40 days in the desert before he started his ministry and here comes the 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 climax of his ministry and mm-hmm. What was he doing before he entered Jerusalem? It didn't seem like he was preparing. It seemed like he was still just kind of go, 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 teaching, teaching, going through Jer- Jericho, and then boom, he's... It, it, because, it, because his whole life was preparation. Yeah. See, we, see, again, we, a big event, we need to prepare because we ourselves are absent-minded the rest of the time, right? We are neglectful the rest of the time, and we're catching up. But for the Lord, didn't have to do that. Hmm. And the funny thing is, do you ever ask yourself the question, what was Jesus thinking as he rode the donkey into Jerusalem, into his father's city? Right? A father that he always saw before him. Always. What was he thinking? Right? I mean, allow me some speculation here. Three years. And they don't get it. Three years. What, what were they listening to? What, what? Did anything penetrate? Because they wrapped them up in the symbols of earthly regal and power. They actually foisted on him the signs of honor for Caesar. Did, but where... Now, most of us would say, and now, Father, you're always with me, always before me. You're asking me to give everything else for them? Steve, would you? Would I? Would our listeners? So we go back to the Annunciation. Sit with the Lord. Snuggle up on the donkey, right? Mm-hmm. And, and watch, watch what's happening. Truly watch what's happening. And then ask yourself the question, how monumental, how, how stupendous, how beyond words to describe is what's going on, the drama of salvation before your very eyes when you come to Mass that day. Really? I mean, it's, it, 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 I, 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 I lack words yeah. to, to, to describe the awesome, merciful love of Christ. Even before we get to Calvary. Because most of our listeners, perhaps even myself included, would take in the donkey, turn around and say, you people are not worth it. You are not, are you worth it? You gotta be kidding me. <laughs> but what does he do? He says, yes. Yeah. I remember... It's just, uh, it's just astonishing. Anyway, please. No, I, please, no I'm sorry. I, I was just going to say, I remember last year, I said to you, uh, there must have been some part of him as he's riding in the donkey, the uh, part of the human part of him that said, not that they're separate because he's one person, but that kind of enjoyed the, the moment as he's entering in triumphantly. And, and I remember, Excellency, you said, 
You know, I don't think that at all. You said that you think he had uh, even a deeper sense of loneliness at that point. Is that how, is that accurate? Okay, he would not have ever been tempted by the inordinate desire mm -hmm. of praise. Mm -hmm. Remember, our, we have one desire and our many desires. The one desire is the, is the food of hope to keep our eyes fixed on fulfillment in eternal life when we are with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, okay? Hope is born in the ultimate desire to be with God in heaven. If that's our, our single greatest desire, then all our other desires find their proper place. And therefore, greed and lust and pride do not become the poison they become in our lives. So, Jesus did not have that experience. But there's a difference between loneliness and being alone. Mm -hmm. The Lord did not experience loneliness in that sense because he was always with his father always in the presence of his father, which by the way, in grace, we can be too. <laughs> if we cast aside our sins, which is a whole nother story, a whole nother podcast we could talk about. <laughs> but he was alone. No one else could do this. Yeah. No one else was called to do this. So what is that experience? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Because in my sinfulness, my aloneness and my loneliness are sometimes intertwined. But for the Lord, it wasn't. But it's almost like in those cinematic sort of techniques where, you know, you hear the crowd roaring and roaring and roaring, and all of a sudden, the producer of a film starts fading the voices out, and they just looks upon the one person. You see, in some ways, that could be a metaphor for Jesus alone mm. being the one to do this. Right? Yeah. And therefore, when he looked upon the crowd, I'm sure his response was not what I said. I'm going to turn around. These people are not worth it. No, his, his response was that of pity, of true mercy. You know, you, you are worth it to me, and I will show you how much you are worth it to me, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I went back and I, I was just kind of thumbing through the Gospels to see right before Palm Sunday, and he tells his apostles even again, like I don't know what number of time it was that he told him, but he said, you know, hey, I'm going in there. The Son of Man is going to be delivered. It's going to be, you know, handed over and, and put to death. And his apostles were kind of like, they just didn't, it didn't click with them. So, right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and I guess the greater mystery is that his apostles, in the end, except for one, we're no different than the crowd. <laughs> I mean, on a human level, what must that have been like for the Lord? See, you were the chosen ones. You just mentioned your TV show. Yeah. You were the ones 
that ate with me and walked with me and laughed with me and saw what I did. To you, I gave the teachings I gave nobody else. And look at you. Where are you? Right? Now, let me say this to you. Not to offend anybody who's listening on this podcast, or you, my friend, or to insult myself in the process. <laughs> but we could throw the crowd under the bus if we want. But the apostles ran. Do we not see ourselves in the apostles? Yeah. The righteous, the upright, the ones who follow Jesus, all the rest. Lord, I will do whatever. I will come. Wash my whole body. What? I mean, and they ran. So, so I think the great mystery of Holy Week is it's in part is its brutal honesty. And how does it make you feel that we claim to be the followers of the Lord Jesus? I am a successor of those men who ran. <laughs> Right? And how does it feel when we find ourselves in the corner of our room having run from Jesus because of our sinfulness or our poor decisions or whatever else we've done? And we recall the fact that the Lord hasn't run from us. Isn't that part of the Holy Week mysteries we celebrate? He truly loves to the end. Yeah. But when will the Lord have his followers and the successes of the men he has chosen, those consecrated in life, those who are ordained to the sacred orders, when will more and more of them be like John? The one who did not run. Interesting question to think about now that we're beginning Holy Week. Yeah, definitely. Um, so let's let's talk about this Palm Sunday. Um, we have long readings uh, at Mass. Yes. Uh, yes. Because in the in the contemporary liturgy, in the in the revision of the liturgy, the fifth Sunday and the sixth Sunday became one Sunday. But it in the former. Uh, celebration in the extraordinary form the fifth Sunday of Lent was Passion Sunday and then there was Palm Sunday okay in a sense you could understand that logic by saying on this Sunday we set the stage and then next Sunday you enter into the mystery of Holy Week so now by putting them together you hear the scripture as you begin the events. So, I mean, that is our practice now. Yeah. And it is a long, and most preachers attempted to say, well, it's long, what am I gonna say? So some priests, for example, give literally a 10 second homily, but I'm of a different philosophy. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus hung for three hours, we could stay here for an hour and <laughs> 15 minutes. Yes, yes. <laughs> really, it's not going to kill anybody. <laughs> and I'm not saying you preach for 20 minutes, but a, 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 a three, four, five minute substantial homily, you know, substantial meaning you have something that people can chew over. It's certainly demanded of the occasion, 
right? Yeah. And and excellency, that's the the homily is is the one time a week that where the pastor or the priest or or you really get to teach us. And so Right. Mm-hmm. Teach us, yeah, please, yeah, that's great. Right, right. But remember, we talked about this last year, the parts that we all say together, right, are the parts we have to reflect on in Holy Week. So if someone were to say, how do you prepare spiritually for Holy Week? I would suggest when you go to Mass, or if you cannot go in person, when you pray virtually, all right, watch carefully the parts that we all say together and pray over those parts during the week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're almost an examination of conscience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're, uh, yeah. Um, so before we go to the break in, in a, about two minutes, um, I just, I read this great news and I just wanted to, uh, I saw that, uh, that, the, the Catholic Church is now in dialogue with the Greek Orthodox Church to put the date for Easter together Correct. by 2025. Correct. You know, we have been in dispute for 1,700 years, more, <laughs> 1,800 years over the date of, it was the first great divide between the East and the West. And of course, because we use different calendars, the Julian calendar, Gregorian calendar, all the rest of it. It, well, if we did that, you do realize that everything else gets fixed. Everything would get fixed. So that's a really big step towards re-communion. Right. It's a big step. And also, there would be no guesswork then when Easter falls. Right. Right. So if they decided, I'm making this up, that the third Sunday of April is forever now Sunday of Easter, then we will always start... Lent relatively at the same time every single year. Yeah. And now, because there could be big differences. Mm-hmm. So it does establish a, a, a calendar that is predictable, right? I, you know, I pray for that. I hope they can get there. Remember, the Orthodox Church is not like the Catholic Church. They are autocephalous churches so that they govern by their own heads, the Patriarch of Constantinople is the first among equals, but he doesn't have juridic authority over the other Orthodox churches. So every Orthodox church would have to agree. And you could conceive of perhaps many of them and the Roman church agreeing, but it doesn't mean every Orthodox, we pray, I would be, that would be tremendous. But yeah. listen, we'll take every step, whatever steps we can, we should. It would be, it would be awesome. Uh, you know, I wonder mm-hmm. if there would be... Um peer pressure for them to either join or kind of to say, no, we're standing out, we're being strong, and we're going to stay with what we're doing. You know, some oh, of the it's just what's, what's happening now. Yeah. See what's happening now in, in our church. Some yeah. of the backlash in our church is, you know, the rest of you, you know, have gone to pot, and therefore we are going to stick with our guns because this is the purer form of doing it. Right. It could actually stiffen people's ne- backs. Yeah. Yeah, I hope not, but uh, it's true. I mean, we're... So, okay. So with that, let's take a break. You're listening to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. We're going to take one break and then have a listener question for Bishop Frank when we come back. Why do we need Catholic radio? Because not everybody's sitting in front of a computer or watching their television set at home. How about when driving to work? How about while at work at your desk? Catholic radio's there for you. I may be a Catholic priest, but I'm still a student of the faith. 
and Catholic Radio helps supply good material, whether it be a question-and-answer format show, whether it be a show itself on doctrine or theology. I myself, as a priest, am always learning. Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Excellency, I love the question we got this week. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's from Marie, and she wrote, Have you ever personally experienced anything miraculous? Okay, Marie, the answer is, I believe yes. And let me tell you the story. When I returned from Rome, I was assigned as the curate at St. Jude's in Canarsie, Brooklyn. And the rectory and the church were connected. They were one single building. Though the church was a beautiful church and the rectory, but when they built St. Jude's, they built it so that you didn't have to leave to go outside. So the church was always available. Even in my pajamas in the middle of the night, I could go and, and, and you know, and offer adoration. And on a Saturday morning, before church was opened, sitting in the front pew on the extreme left-hand side of the church, in my prayer, I looked up and opposite me, because St. Jude's is a semicircle, opposite me, there are three statues, St. Joseph, Sacred Heart, and Our Lady. There was a woman standing in the church. And my immediate reaction was no fear. But it was a moment frozen in time. She was dressed all in black, but she, and she had the visage, the face of a woman who is Middle Eastern. A smile, but one of the most beautiful smiles I have ever seen. And I was just frozen because the church was locked. It was not, there was no one in the church. I was just frozen. And she gestured to me. And I had this overwhelming sense of consolation and um, encouragement. It's just so hard to describe. I, I, there were, I'm not exactly sure how to describe it. And then, you know, we normally blink, right? And after I blinked, there was nothing there. Wow. And I thought to myself afterwards, Frank, you're imagining things. You need, okay, to get all, I mean, really, get a grip (laughs) and move on. (laughs) And, um, but it was real. It was real. It was real. I, 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 even to this day, when I think back, it was real. And so... I turned in my prayer to our Lord and to our lady and asked, who was that? Because it was not our lady. Okay, that's what I was going to ask. Okay. No, 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 it was not. I would have known that. No. And soon after, what became very clear to me is who was that? It was Mary Magdala. Wow. It was was Mary Magdala. That is what my heart told me in my prayer. And it just came to me one day when I was before the Lord. It was Mary Magdala, the apostle of the apostles. 
Mm-hmm. Right? She was the one who announced the resurrection of the Lord. And it was not the easiest time in my life coming back from Rome and all the rest. So she, she had come to give me that consolation that she would have given the apostles in the, the proclamation. I've seen him. He is alive. Mm-hmm. What, it was remarkable. Steve, was, I don't think I've ever told the story. So I'm glad you asked the question. That's but, so that I think, that, so that's why I say, I believe, I believe I have seen a miracle. What, uh, what, what year was that around? 1997. Okay. That's... When I was young, I was young. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's yeah. amazing. Um, Marie, thank you for asking that question because that was a fantastic story. Uh, and, and if you're listening and you have a question for Bishop Frank, please send it in to us on social media or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Uh, if, we get, if we get stuff like that from the questions, I mean, please keep sending them in. Uh, all of our questions have been great, by the way. All of them have. Um, Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So is Veritas Catholic Network. Excellency, would you please give us your blessing? May the Holy Spirit of God come upon us all, that as we begin to celebrate the mysteries of Holy Week, that there may be an occasion for us to grow in love of our Lord, fidelity to his mission, and to be the hopeful messengers of the word of salvation that comes from the only Savior and Redeemer the world will ever know. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit come upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. Steve, I'll see you. Excellency. Yes, thank you. Have a blessed start to the Holy Week and uh, talk to you next week.